Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. Let's pray. Father, I, I ask that you open eyes and that you illuminate hearts, that your Word and, and a revelation of who you are is clear from the Scriptures we dig in today. And we give you all the honor in advance for all that you accomplish in every single life. In Jesus' precious name we pray and we all say amen. Today we're going to continue in the tale of two sons. We're going to be in part B or part two today, and we're going to talk about being lost in plain sight. So open your Bibles to Luke 15 and verse 21, and uh, we're going to begin where we left off last week. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. Well, in this culture, the oldest son received a double portion. Meaning if there were three brothers uh, and, uh, you know, the, the inheritance of the father was being split up, the oldest would get half and the two younger brothers would each get a quarter. And, you know, that, that strikes you as unfair at first, but uh, in this culture also the oldest brother was responsible to take care of the parents in their old age. So uh, this is part of the rationale for why the inheritance was set up this way. And as we talk about the younger and older brother, uh, keep in mind that they were in two very, very different positions. But, but also some people say that the, the, one of the big reasons also why the older or first child typically received the, the double portion of the larger inheritance is because it was, it's really compensation because the, the parents tend to make the worst mistakes with the first child. Uh, they, they worry the most, and they know the least. And, uh, you know, some say, you know, uh, that that's part of the rationale as well. And the younger son says, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So when the younger son left his father's house, he took with him one-third of the father's estate. But then he came back with absolutely nothing. All he did was blow it on women drugs, fast cars, etc. But finally, in the pig pen of life, we talked about this last week, he, he came to himself. And what happened in that pig pen was amazing. This, this, this sense of entitlement was totally eradicated. And he finally realized the world owed him nothing. You know, the, the mistakes that keep us humble, this is important, are more precious than the accomplishments that make us arrogant. And this moment was precious in the life of this boy. And he said, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. This was a big step because no one is grateful for receiving what is owed to them. You don't really have to say thanks when you deserve something. So the son finally realized his, his unworthiness. And, and when he stopped trusting himself, he was finally free to trust his, his father. You see, God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. And this is the way God operates. But the father said to his servants, now, the son asked to be a servant, but the father ignored this boy's request. Not only, though, was the son welcome, which was more than generous, more than enough, because a lot of folks would have never received the boy back. He didn't just leave. It's one thing to leave. He leaved and squandered everything that his father's father had passed on to him, everything his father had worked for all of his life. He went out and totally squandered it. But what we see here is the father uh, received, not only welcomed the boy back, but he uh, gives him the full status of 
of sonship. And those who humble themselves uh, in the sight of the Lord will be exalted. But then it says in, in, in the next clause, bring out the best robe. It's amazing how God still gives us his best, though we've given him his worst. And the Father is really representative of, of God here. And the Father said, bring him what? The best robe. Not, not a slave's robe, not a, the best robe, and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. So the robe, the ring, and the sandal, they, they all represented that this boy was fully restored to sonship. He was not a second-class citizen, if you will, in the home. This is why grace is so amazing. We've done things that deserve, you know, us being kicked out, never mentioned again, and, and may God eradicate, you know, our name from, from any ledger that could possibly exist in heaven. But we see here the Father taking a very, very, very different approach. And, and what I want to say to you is there's nothing you can do that will make you less of a child of God than anyone else. There's no one here that's, you know, only 10% a child of God, 20%, 30%, 50%. And, you know, maybe if I work hard enough, I can one day become a 100% child of God. That's not the way it works. You see, there's not a title in the universe greater than child of God. I don't care, president, senator, doctor, bishop, whatever. There's, there's no title that can be conferred greater than that of son of the most high. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. So we, we talked about this last week. The boy's sin had to be atoned for in blood. It was a type of, of Christ, that, that fatted calf. Forgiveness is free, but it's never cheap. And uh, it costs somebody something. Matter of fact, New Testament grace can uh, uh, be summed up if you, if you use the letter of each, the, the first letter of each, each initial or each letter in that word is God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. It cost Christ everything. Uh, a, a penalty had to be paid. But when that penalty was paid, all the riches of God became ours. This is why the cross is so, so very, very important. And he said, and let us eat and be what? Mary. So they turned up the music. They got the volleyball net up. They got the card table out. I mean, dominoes were being slammed on the table, potato salad, you know, uh, Mayor Wood was on the grill. And I mean, every, everything was, was, was peachy, banana cream pie, apple pie, all, whatever your favorite pie, it was there. Everybody was happy. Neighbors came from miles around to celebrate with the Father. This is a, an incredible occasion. In verse 24, it says, for this my son. Now, this is important. Because when we look at this, we're looking at theological constructs and the rest. But, but this boy was no theological construct to his father. This was the father's little man. This was the father's little girl. Uh, you know, the, the father was like, y'all can say what you want, but that, that's my boy. That boy belongs to me. And, and there's no greater warrior than a mother protecting uh, her child. And there's no greater warrior than a father protecting his child. For this, my son, was dead. And watch this and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And he didn't focus on all the loss. He didn't focus on all his pain. And he didn't even rehash all the nights he stayed awake and all the imaginations that went through his head. All he did was celebrate the fact the boy came back. And, and they began to be what? 
Mary. So the dad was toasting, everybody was celebrating. Just when everyone was on the floor about to do the Cupid shuffle, uh, here comes Mr. Killjoy. Here comes the kid with the stick up his leg. He's walking up the hill, and, and watch what happens. Now, his older son was in the field. Now, in this parable, the younger son represented the notorious and, and flagrant sinners. This is, these are the tax collectors. These are, 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 the, are the publicans. You know, the, these are the notorious bad folks. These are the drug dealers, if you will. But the older son represented the scribes or, or the more religious people who outwardly seemed to be close to God, but inwardly were actually far away. So this older brother, you know, he, he, he hears this music, and, uh, you know, the, the hardest people to reach are not bad people who, who know they're bad people. They're typically self-righteous people who think they're good. So the most difficult conversations you will ever have is, are with the self-righteous. And unfortunately, a lot of people, when they think of self-righteous people, they think of just religious people. Man, when I watch the news, there is so much self-righteousness. There's Democratic self-righteousness. There's Republican self-righteousness. You know, I care for the people. No, no, I care for the— And everyone is just trying to out, you know, uh, righteous, you know, the, the, the next person. It's just—they call it virtue signaling. It's amazing. Uh, it's not just uh, religious people that, that do this. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Um, apparently, and I'm just going to mess with some of your theology just a little bit, all music and dancing can't be wrong because in this parable, music and dancing actually represents a good thing. And as the older brother came and drew near to the house, he heard music and what? Dancing. You see, unhappy people do not want anyone else to be unhappy because their happiness makes them unaware or more conscious of their unhappiness. Happy people get excited about parties because they don't have to change their mood to go. And uh, this, this young man, even though he was dutiful, even though he was fastidious uh, about the, the commands of the father, he was not a happy camper. And you can uh, be part of the household of God and not be happy. And this was the case of the older brother. So he called one of his servants and asked, what, 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 what does all this music mean? What, what do these things mean? He was completely puzzled by the merriment, because how could anybody be happy in this situation? But imagine working with the Father, being around the Father, living with the Father day after day, your whole life, but not really understanding what really brings him joy. So the servant had to explain it to the brother. Now, if anyone should have got the father, it should have been the son. Like, you know, I know what makes makes my daddy happy. I, I know what pleases his heart. Man, I, it must, some relationship must have been strong. The, the thing that, that, that my father cares most about is people. So, so either we have a great guest or, or something, but, but this guy, you know, he doesn't really know the father's heart. He knows the father's rules. He knows the father's regulations, but he doesn't have the father's heart. And he said to him, this is a servant speaking to the older brother, your brother has come and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. Even if he didn't love the brother, if he loved the father, he would at least be happy for the father that his child is back. 
His father, again, is no longer up at nights. The father's no longer wringing his hands. His father's no longer, you know, worried about what could be happening with his brother. But the older brother was angry, and he refused to go into the party. Now, in a couple of moments, he's going to talk about how obedient he always is, but actually he just disrespected his father because his father is, is inviting everyone to come, and he actually disrespects him by saying, I'm not coming. But he was angry and what would not go in. When my, my, my youngest son, my baby boy David, was a preschooler, he was a kid that, that would, he just loved to disappear. Um, he, he could be right next to you. And, and it, I mean, you look away just for a moment. David is gone. And, uh, you know, m most kids, you know, when they go away, you know, or they're gone or you, they're missing, you know, you go up to the room, you find them, maybe go down to the kitchen, you know, they're going to be grabbing some food for the refrigerator. Not David. With David, we always had to look outside the front door. So one time David disappeared. We were in Walmart. And, uh, you know, he was right next to me, right next to me. And... I look up. I don't know if I was looking for something on the shelf, and he was gone. And it was one of the, one of the, the longest 20 minutes of my life. I mean, I wanted to turn that store upside down. Man, I, man, I, I, man, I almost lost my mind. I wanted to shut everything down. I, I wanted to, to scream, knock over things, and it was just, just, just a whole thing. I, I, I had to fight panic mode, you know, because he wasn't gone for five minutes. I looked down all the aisles, not 10 minutes, 20 minutes, my little boy was gone. So, you know, after a couple minutes, you know, I went to the front and all the rest, but, but then I, I heard on the intercom, would the parents of David Greer please come to the manager's office? I couldn't get there quick enough. Now, I was angry at David for disappearing yet again, as he always did, no matter what I told him, he would always wander off. And, you, and by the way, you may judge people who put their kids on a leash, but I tell you, that's what I needed uh, back then. But as frustrated as I was, uh, man, I was ready to take people apart. Uh, I was looking at people's stuff. Um, you know, I, 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 whatever it took, I was going to get my boy back. But as mad as I might have felt at him, I was happier to see him. And there's no way that I wouldn't go into the manager's office to get my kid because I was bad at him. And even, you know, DJ, you know, boys compete and stuff. But DJ, I think at the time was in kindergarten. Even he hugged his brother because, you know, five minutes, okay, you know, okay, 20 minutes in a huge store with people coming in and out. Man, that was something. But the short of it was because he's my son, I was happier to have him back. They're mad at him that he left. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him, the, the older brother. So here's the deal, though. It was the father's farm. It was the father's youngest son. He did not owe the older brother an explanation. Um, but the father went to the older son. And the father's trying to, to explain. And the patience shown by the father lets us know that he loved the older son as much as he loved the younger son, and here's the deal, we are all in need of mercy. Uh, some form of it, you know, the, the, the older brother needed a different form than the younger brother, but we're all in need of some form of God's mercy. So he answered and said to his father, watch the answer. This answer is, is almost as bad as 
the uh, younger son's statement, you know, give me my inheritance so I can leave. I wish you were dead, Dad. I, I want to get out of your life. I just want what you have. I don't want you. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. Literally, I have been slaving for you. Now, this boy may have stayed at home. He may have never embarrassed the family. He may have seemed like a, a strong, upstanding young man. He never wasted his dad's possessions, but his heart was still far away. He didn't really see himself as a son. He saw himself more as a servant, meaning he was operating based, based on his own merits based, versus uh, the relationship that he had with his dad. And here's, here's the big question. Do you see God as a slave driver or do you see him as a dad? How would you describe your relationship with the father? And if God is mostly, you know, the, the guy telling you what you better get done, et cetera, you've missed it. And even though you may be part of the household of God, uh, you are not enjoying the goodness and, and, and the good stuff of relationship with the father. And then watch what he says. He says, I never, which is a lie, but I never transgress your commandments at any time. So he shows himself to be a true Pharisee here. God, I thank thee that I'm not like other men and, and all those, those things that the Pharisees recited every day. But, but this guy, you know, bitterness has a way of helping you blow things out of proportion. I don't know a child that has 100% obeyed their parents all of their lives. But he said, I have never transgressed your commandments at any time. But you see, self-righteousness, it, it inclines us to exaggerate everything except our own mistakes. And um, this was the case with the older, I, I never, and I, I, I would never do that. I, I'm better than that. And, and, and he's, some, you know, he's, he's, he's a little angry and frustrated, and he feels slighted, and I'm getting ahead of myself. I, I never transgressed, Father. You know, I, I've not done what they did, but, but you've blessed them. And he's implying that the Father's unfair and that the Father is somehow corrupt, that the Father is somehow too permissive. But actually, we're going to discover that the father has shown him as much grace as he has shown the boy that, that had left. I never transgressed your commandments at any time, and yet you never, and emphasis on never, I never, you never gave me a young goat. So he felt slighted. Um, th th this boy was always the victim of his own story, and, and you know people like that, where you know what, you're always a victim, no matter what happens, you know, it's not fair what they've done to me, and, and this was the mindset of the other brother. Yet you never gave me a goat that I may make merry with my friends. You see, the benefits of staying near the Father, experiencing the protection, the, the safeties, and the blessings of being with the Father— were nothing to the older boy. He would have replaced all that for a goat. Here we have a child that lost everything, stuff that, that really some of it couldn't be returned. And this boy is upset over a goat because he didn't value the abiding relationship. He didn't value all that the father gave him every day. And I, I hear believers sometimes, well, you know, that person's doing all this and doing that, and, and they seem happy. No, they're not. Is your situation so miserable that you would really get jealous of someone else that's out of fellowship with God? Does, does the presence of God mean so little to you that you would give all that up just to have what they have and somehow it's, it's unfair? But as soon as this son of yours, watch this, not my brother, 
but this son of yours. So he's treating him like he's not even kin, you know, because, you know, he's special and, and he's different. You know, brotherhood is, is, is not just a matter of blood, but a matter of heart. And, uh, you know, there go I save for the grace of God. And, and that's the reality we, we have to embrace. But as soon as this son of yours came, and this was the Pharisees' attitude, how can the publicans, how can the tax collectors be sitting with Jesus? How can he be healing people without inspecting their pedigree and making sure they were not naughty and, and they were nice? And, and, and you know, how, how could he be so, so gracious to them? After all, we tie the mint and the cumin, and, and after all, uh, we do X, Y, and, and Z, and we pray this number of times a day, and, and all the, I memorize certain, certain scriptures, and, and how, how could this be? Watch how it continues. But as this, this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood, he's trying to get the dad mad too, with harlots, and I, I don't think that's an exaggeration. I think that's exactly what happened. The brother knew his brother well. You killed the fatted calf for him. Father, what that boy did was unforgivable. You are too permissive. Your love for him only encourages him. Your grace outrages me. It, it disgusts me. Father, I thought you were better than that. I'm relating to you based on merit. How dare you not relate to someone else not based on merit? Because after all, I am the gold standard. But God never intended to deal with either son exclusively based on merit. Now, our rewards will be based on merit when we get to heaven but the love of the Father is unconditional and undeserved. When a baby is born, he did not earn the love of his parents. And as I often say, all that baby does is, you know, mess the diapers, you know, take up more time. And, and, but by virtue of the fact that that child belongs to the parent, the, there's a love for them, it's, but it's not earned. The, the kid hasn't done anything yet. The kid just costs a big old hospital bill to bring them home. He hasn't added any uh, value. He, he hasn't paid a bill, uh, or she hasn't uh, cleaned, you know, the house. Uh, you know, there, there's nothing a baby does. So actually, family is built on this concept of grace. Just because you're my child, I love you. And every parent across the globe gets a chance to experience that, and it's all God drawing us toward His grace. The only reason we have this concept of parentage and parenthood is because God put it in our hearts. You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media.